I think what we want to accomplish here is that this is a very big victory for speech. Yeah. And we discovered a lot of things that we thought were true, but in fact were worse than we ever imagined. Yeah. And they wrote it all down. They sent emails. They did this unabashedly. Yeah. And now yeah. we've got them red-handed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still claiming that they didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> exactly. Well, they think that they think they're on the moral high ground somehow. Yeah. That we really are. Uh, uh, I don't know what they think we're doing, but it's uh, it, it's not what we're really about. The Bill Walton Show for August nine. Okay. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Well, we've all heard the phrase, I may disapprove of what you say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it. Well, we've just learned that the federal government does not agree with that, <laughs> that there are many things that uh, the Biden administration and maybe some of the prede predecessors think that uh, they don't want us to think or say. And we've just seen what that's about in a recent victory in, uh, in uh, which court are we in? In, well, the Western District of Louisiana. The Western District yeah. of Louisiana. Okay. <laughs> federal court. Yeah. And uh, I've got Janine Yunus back again. Uh, wonderful Janine Yunus back to, from the New Civil Liberties Alliance, who's their uh, litigation counsel. And she was the lead lawyer on a case called State of Missouri versus Joseph R. Biden Jr. And what the judge found was an incredible amount of censorship going on uh, at the behest of the federal government and federal government agencies. Uh, pushing the social media companies to censor, ban, and otherwise uh, stifle the speech of people that disagreed with its policies. Is that the gist? That is the gist, yeah. <laughs> so essentially what the uh, these government actors in various agencies, including the White House, the CDC, um, the FBI, uh, a, an agency called the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, what they were doing was using various tactics, you know, pressure, threats, coercion, uh, encouragement in order to get the social company, social media companies to censor people who expressed views that uh, were different from the Biden administration's. And that's a First Amendment violation. So who are your plaintiffs? So NCLA represents private plaintiffs, uh, Jay Bhattacharya, Martin Kuldor, four epidemiologists and co-authors of the Great Barrington De Declaration. Um, Aaron Cariotti, who's a psychiatrist, uh, was a professor at UC Irvine before he got fired for not getting the vaccine. Oh, they fired him for, yeah. for not getting the vaccine, yeah. And then yeah. Uh, a woman named Jill Hines, who runs a health freedom network in Louisiana, opposing uh, mask and vaccine mandates. So the, the case was originally brought by the state uh, attorneys general of Missouri and Louisiana, and NCLA joined on behalf of private plaintiffs. And how long has this been in the works? Uh, the lawsuit was initially filed on May 5th of 2022, so it's been a while. Okay, but we had all the censorship going on from 2020. Right. Well, actually, it started before that with other issues. It's we a little complicated, yeah. So, but as far as we know, uh, some of this has been going on since around the election time of 2020. And some of these agencies, I would say, were sort of acting rogue. Um, you know, so they weren't doing this because the Trump administration told them to. In fact, the evidence I've seen from the Trump White House, and I say this not as a, a Trump supporter, but 
they were actually um, their communications with social media companies were totally different. They were saying things like, you know, if you can promote authoritative information on COVID, that would be great, uh, which is fine. They can do that. Uh, Biden, once the Biden White House took over, it was, you know, threats. Uh, if you don't censor this, we're going to come after you. We're considering our options. Um, and then the social media companies complied. They changed their policies in order to censor more people um, it, and to it basically do what the administration wanted. Well, the judge, the judge is Terry Dottie. That's right, yeah. Dottie, and yeah. he's in uh, Missouri. He's in Missouri. Uh, no, he's in Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah. Well, the thing that was striking, and we were joking before, I said, you know, come on, let's <laughs> talk about this big victory. And I, I got a hold of the judgment, and the judgment's about eight pages, and it's an astonishing list of the people who were yeah. defendants <laughs> in this case. And then I looked at the memorandum attached to the judgment, then I started reading it, then I realized this is 49,000 words long. Right, yeah. And it's not just that it's long, but it gets in every single agency. It gets yeah. into the FBI, it gets into the CISA, which we had to talk about, State Department was involved. Every single agency was working with and commanding the social media companies. And it was every single social media company, including things like Wikipedia. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think one important thing to understand about the case is that this wasn't sort of one plot that was coordinated. It was different agencies acting independently and all, you know, thinking this was okay. I think there was some communication between agencies and the White House, but I think mostly they were sort of doing their own thing. And so the, um, the way in which they were influencing the social media companies took different forms. Uh, the White House was very using a lot of threats and pressure. You know, we're going to look at uh, how to how to change Section 230 um, in order to get them to do what they wanted. The CDC was more working uh, hand in gloves, so saying this is the kind of post you should be taking down. This is authoritative information. And I think you know one thing that shouldn't get lost in this is a lot of what uh, the government was saying was wrong was misinformation itself. So they were often. <laughs> Uh, you know, promoting bad information while demanding that good information be removed. So the list of things that they were wrong on included masks, included social distancing, included the the efficacy of the uh, vaccine. That's right. Yeah. Natural immunity. Um, oh, yeah. They said natural immunity was, yeah. not, was unimportant. Yeah. The lab leak Iver theory. Ivermectin, hydroxychlorine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole list of things that people were talking about back in the day in 2020, 2021, yeah. and we weren't allowed a, a debate. They just right. wanted to shut it down. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and that's, you know, I think this case kind of illustrates why we have a First Amendment, uh, because we need to be able to debate these things. COVID was a new disease. There was actually a lot that was unknown. Um, and the government, instead of allowing the public to hear different opinions from different scientists and different people, you don't shouldn't have to be a scientist either to express your views, shut it down and basically said there's one view, it's the government's, it's that lockdowns are good, mandates are good. And if you say anything different, um, you're going to be silenced. How did you, I want to get into the particulars with the agencies, but I was impressed by the amount of research that was done, the amount of testimony, the amount of text the emails that were uncovered to, to build this case, because we're not just shooting from the hip here. And the judge wasn't shooting from the hip. He called it, um, he said, if, if, if this is true, and I think he concluded it is true, yeah. he said the present case arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in the United States history. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I've been saying that since the beginning of, since we brought this case, and actually since I brought a similar case before it. Um, 
there has never been a situation in which the government could silence or suppress certain views it, to, in the amounts that it can with social media. I mean, you know, in the 1970s, the government could call a newspaper and say, please don't print this story, or if you print this story, you know, we're going to come after you. But that wasn't really the same as shutting down debate in the, you know, the modern public square, which social media is these days. Well, the, the uh, let's do an example, the Great Barrington Statement. They, yeah. they, they, what was it that uh, Fauci came out and uh, Francis Collins came out to, were then the top guys in the health establishment in Washington and said, this comes out and and your clients, who are probably a lot more famous than they are and a lot more accomplished than they are, said uh, they said these guys are just uh, just quacks. Yeah. So the uh, the Great Barrington Declaration was censored in 2020, and I think first explain what that is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So Jay Bhattacharya, Martin Kuldorf, uh, epidemiologists at um, Stanford and Harvard, respectively, and then Sinetra Gupta, who's at Oxford, some of the top epidemiologists in the world. Uh, wrote a short treatise basically calling for an end to lockdown. This was at the beginning of October of 2020. Uh, an end to lockdown saying that the harms outweighed the benefits, that it wasn't really going to work, and that you know um, the way to go about this was to protect vulnerable people, to use our resources to do that, rather than shutting down society as a whole. Um, this was, of course, disagreed with by people like Fauci and uh, many of the establishment public health figures. And the declaration was immediately censored on social media, so it was hard to find it in Google searches. The Facebook page was taken down. Um, and at the same time, there are emails between uh, Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins of the NIH saying, this, you know, we've got to orchestrate a takedown of this declaration. Um, now, we don't at this time have direct evidence that they communicated with the social media companies and told them to take it down. I suspect such evidence <laughs> exists. Um, but... I think there'll be a lot of efforts made to make sure that it doesn't come to light. Well, but we had let's let's talk. They he names the defendants by agency and by individuals. Yes. And the defendants include the White House, State Department, CISA, FBI, CDC, on and on and on. I mean, yeah. they're they're like a dozen agencies that uh, were the defendants and individuals within it. And but we have though we have the I think Jim Jordan. And I don't know if it's part of this case. They've, we've got all the emails. We've got all right. the emails between the White House and and what they were telling the social media companies to do, in particular Facebook. Right. I mean, they were basically ordering face, and they were really cranky. And they said to Facebook, "Look, if you don't do this, we're going to go after you on Section 230. Right. Or we're going to go after you on antitrust." And Zuckerberg has been on record saying, "Look, if if they come after us on antitrust, we've got a big problem." Yeah. Yeah. So they were using the most extreme form of coercion. Absolutely, yeah. That's that. What I'm saying is there isn't specific evidence of Fauci. Oh, you're being Collins. so lawyerly. Yeah, sorry. I forget. <laughs> but as a, as a, you're being a careful as lawyer. A, as a general sense, that's absolutely what's going on. And you mentioned um, recently the uh, Jim Jordan is chairman of the Select Subcommittee on Weaponization of the Federal Government, which is a. Um, uh, subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee that's investigating this issue, and I served on briefly. Um, and so through that, you know, Congress has subpoena power that um, is sort of unparalleled in other aspects. You, you usually can't even obtain this stuff through litigation. So internal meta documents, I think, w revealed the most shocking um, 
information where the companies were basically saying, and they weren't basically saying, they said, we're under pressure from the White House. We have to change our policies. And one of my favorites is one from Nick Clegg, who's the head of Glo global affairs at Meta to the vice. Uh, he's, their, he's, he's their man in Washington. Yeah. He's Facebook interface with, with everybody in Washington. Yeah. And he, so he's emailing with the uh, vice president of public policy and he asks him, why did we, why did we censor the lab leak theory or why did we have it removed instead of demoted? And the vice president of public policy says, um, because we were under pressure from the white house, we shouldn't have done it. Uh, now the government has been arguing that the companies were doing this on their own and the government was just making suggestions, which is ludicrous when you read the emails. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of emails that are very coercive. Um, but these internal emails kind of, in my opinion, eviscerate that argument because the companies are saying internally, we're doing this because the White House is putting us under pressure. Well, that's the way I read it. Yeah, <laughs> that's the way anyone would read I, it. I, I don't have to argue it in court, but it, <laughs> I, as, a, as just a normal person reading what they did, this was incredible coercion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Bill Walton Show, I'm here with my great guest and, and good friend, Janine Yunus, who's uh, the lawyer on a case that uh, we just received a summary. What what was the verdict was it's, called? It's a preliminary injunction. Preliminary injunction, yeah. Missouri versus Biden, which uh, shows how the extent to which the federal government and the agencies uh, were using social media to censor us. Uh, and the list of things that they were censoring, Janine, is we've been talking about COVID, but you know I'm looking at some notes here. It was not just efficacy of masks and lockdowns and things like that, but um, they didn't. They were censoring conversation they didn't agree with about the 2020 presidential election, yeah. um, uh, the security of voting by mail. Um, you weren't allowed to uh, post parody yeah. <laughs> of, of federal government officials. Humor, yeah. humor was part of what they yeah. were trying to shut down. Um, no negative posts about the economy. Yeah, and uh, no negative posts about uh, Joe, President yeah. Biden. Yeah. So, it was really uh, anything that was uh, in opposition to the Democrat regime, uh, they were trying to censor. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's also the Hunter Biden laptop story is a big one. Which, yeah, talk, uh, talk, I'll elaborate on that because yeah. the FBI was in early on that one. Yeah, that was mainly the FBI. So what the FBI did was, uh, and this has sort of come out through the discovery here as well as the subcommittee's investigation, um, the FBI went to the social media companies and said, there's like a, a, you know, Russian hack and leak job coming. And also you guys should change your policies so that you censor hack and leak information, anything that's hack and leak. And also it's probably going to involve Hunter Biden's laptop. <laughs> Meanwhile, we know from depositions and their emails that they knew that Hunter Biden's laptop was not Russian disinformation or the result of a hack and leak, leak job, that it was real, like, so to speak, it was existed and it was his. Um, and so they were telling the companies this while well, they knew otherwise. And that was clearly an attempt to get them to censor the story. And the judge in this case found that they had coerced the companies by way of deception. So if the government is getting the companies to censor things by deceiving it about the nature of the material, that's coercion. Well, it, 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 it was coercion. And for anybody watching, listening to the show, I, I strongly recommend taking on that 49,000, <laughs> um, what it work out to exactly, 49,716 word memorandum, which the judge wrote based on all the work you, that was done by everybody. And it, it's an incredible compilation of everything you've been reading about in the paper or hearing. 
is in there. Yeah. And where do we find that? I mean, I had to dig around the internet. What's the, do you, have <laughs> you, any... sh you should be able to Google and find it if you Google Missouri versus Biden, Judge Doty. Um, I have <laughs> access to, you know, court. Uh... <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, it's not that hard to find. Yeah. I found it in a couple of minutes, but you, yeah. ought, to, you, ought, to, you ought to take a, take a read. It's, it's, it's well worth it. Um, so let's talk about CISA. Yeah. <laughs> I had Ben Weingarten on. He he gave a testimony. Um, one yeah. of the, the I think it's the House committees on CISA. Yeah. The Cybersecurity Information Infrastructure uh, Security Infrastructure Agency. Security <laughs> Agency. Talk yeah. about CISA. Yeah, they're a subcomponent of DHS um, or sub agency of DHS. So yeah. Uh, they are. They were initially charged with um, protecting the infrastructure, so bridges and. Uh, Stuff like that, as well as you know, the internet. Like we don't like, want like, our... like regular inter infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like we don't. I mean, we also don't want uh, you know a foreign government to be able to hack into our um, and, you know cybersecurity, okay. cyber infrastructure, and you know get into bank records or whatever that kind of thing. Um, but what they started doing essentially was creeping into policing uh, election mis so-called misinformation and then domestic speech. They called that their election infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they, they, they were acknowledging that, well, we're, you know, we're really looking at domestic so-called misinformation. Um, but this poses a threat, so we're going to do it on anyway. And they were working with third parties. So this is an interesting aspect of the whole thing too. There were a number of third party nonprofits who supposedly, um, specialize in disinformation and misinformation, uh, assessing it and figuring out what to do about it. And CISA and some of the other agencies would work with these um, third parties. They're known as the Virality Project, the Election Integrity Partnership. There are probably dozens uh, at least. And they would sort of outsource the censorship to those companies, um, which is also, you know, should be considered illegal. Well, they had a... they. They had their group, they called it the Countering Foreign Influence Task Force. And they interpreted that as really anything in the country, including domestic terrorists, which includes Trump voters. Right. <laughs> and so their their scope went all the way from protecting bridges and tunnels, then to IT, then right. to elections. But then Jen Easterly, who runs CISA, didn't, didn't she decide that the we had something called our cognitive infrastructure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And she she was testifying. She said, well, you know, we've got this is something we gotta protect. Let me see if I can get her exact quote here. But she she says that the cognitive infrastructure uh is the American mind. <laughs> wow. And, and they yeah. need to and they need to influence they need to what, that. <laughs> what, what's in the American mind. Yeah. Her quote is we live in a world where people talk about alternative facts, post truth which I think is really, really dangerous if people get to pick their own facts. Yeah, well, you live in America. <laughs> you get to pick your own facts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I think but one of the common threads I see. Is she still on the job? Is she I believe, yeah, okay. as far as I know, unless something changed in the last two weeks or right. something. Um, I mean, w one of the common threads I see through a lot of these government bureaucrats and these agencies who are doing this is that they think that they have a handle on the truth. Um, and that Americans are babies who need to be told what the truth is and they can't be exposed to different points of view and make their own decisions. And that's exactly what the First Amendment was designed to protect against. Um, you know, it says that every American has the ability to decide for him or herself what's true um, and to hear different opinions and to make up their own minds. 
Well, it's sort of the basis of all our freedoms. Exactly. I mean, everything else, uh, you know, stems from that. Exactly. Right. Well, there, but they, I, I, there was one where she, uh, she teamed directly with the State Department Global Engagement Center. Yeah. And they were again trying to flag flag emails and and post for parody and jokes. Yep. <laughs> But it's it's interesting. They 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 wanted to target interact inaccurate information, and we, we talked about COVID and vaccines, et cetera. But also racial justice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going into you know the transgender stuff. That's now considered uh, you can have transgender misinformation if you say that uh, you know men shouldn't be able to biological men shouldn't be able to play on women's sports teams they consider that misinformation well this is still happening i had jay, oh, Rich yeah. I had jay richards on a few weeks oh. ago and we posted uh we did a show on that topic yeah and um facebook demonetizes yeah yeah <laughs> they did, uh, we're, we're not sure it was that show but we think it was and yeah. then mysteriously they put it back up again yeah yeah <laughs> or they, they didn't take it down they just wouldn't let us run ads it's it's really incredible. The, a few uh, week or two ago, YouTube censored NCLA and the Missouri um, former Solicitor General, who's uh, sort of leading this case, and they were discussing the case. And YouTube took it down for medical misinformation. They were talking about the case yeah. that was in court. Yeah, part of the legal system. Exactly. Assumably, assuming part of the public record. Yes. <laughs> then they took it down. Yeah, and it was three lawyers. I don't think they were saying anything totally crazy. Well, lawyers, if we're, you're all careful. <laughs> and the ones that aren't careful, anyway, they, they're not long lawyers. But the, the, the list, the, the, you're also not allowed to talk about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Yeah. And leaving $87 billion of equipment in the desert. Yeah. Well, and this, you know, this is exactly why we don't have the government policing speech. They're showing us here, they're illustrating why they can't be trusted to do this. Um, because... The idea that they're just taking down, I mean, it's, it's so problematic, the idea that you can um, just remove false speech. I mean, you start with the sort of epistemological questions, what is false, um, and then who decides, and this is what the framers of the Constitution understood when they enacted the First Amendment. They understood that this is not, you know, and it's much better that people be exposed to a variety of viewpoints, even if some of those are blatantly false or based on blatantly false information. Um, people can decide for themselves and evaluate different arguments. Well, I think the thing that one of the reasons I want to do shows like this, even though we need, now need to worry about uh, YouTube, Facebook, and <laughs> everybody else not letting it happen, is that the people in the government, you know, we're, we're in the D.C. area, and the people in government are just like us. I mean, they're just as flawed. Oh, yeah. They've got similar backgrounds, similar educations, and all of a sudden they go into a government job, and, yeah. and they're then, they, they, they then become omnipotent. Right, right. In their, a, in their mind. Yes, exactly. That's And that's what this whole philosophy assumes, that, that people who work in government are un, omnipotent and they have a handle on the truth that regular people don't have, which they've proven themselves isn't true. How many things have they gotten wrong throughout the pandemic and not to mention many other subjects? Now, you, I, I want to veer into the personal a little bit. You used to be a pretty serious liberal. Yeah, I... <laughs> I, I, with some caveats, <laughs> I had a libertarian streak always. Okay, which well, got that's me in obvious. Trouble, you but... <laughs> still have that. But then, what, 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 what converted you? Um, well, COVID was really the uh, the thing. I mean, I was 
sort of shocked that people thought it was okay for the government to tell you you can't leave your home or, you know, you have to go get a vaccine. Um, I mean, I opposed the lockdowns early on. Uh, that just seemed completely wrong to me. Um, and the more I looked at it, the more I began to realize that there's so much government overreach in so many aspects of our lives, and it's just not consistent with the Constitution or sort of the principles on which this country was founded. What did you learn as you've developed this case? Um, I mean, you started out with a skepticism, but what, what was there anything that shocked you that you learned that's in this case? And by the way, it's in the 49,472 words on in, in the judge's uh, memorandum. So I've been really surprised at just how bad some of these these government actors were. I in I thought that there might be some material like this behind the scenes, but I didn't um I couldn't have imagined sort of the scope of it or or the degree of the coercion and threats um and sort of the hubris that these government actors displayed. There's one in particular, a guy named Rob Flaherty, who is the digital media director in the White House. And he was constantly, as soon as uh, the Biden administration took over in January of 21, he was writing to the companies and just haranguing them and saying, you know, you better do what we want or else. Uh, and then they were saying, OK, 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 we'll change our policies. And the tone he used with them was just um, com completely unacceptable. And the, the now we know from the uh, Jim Jordan's emails, the, um, the, the emails Jim Jordan obtained, that the, the employees that the companies didn't like his tone and they were saying we don't really like the way he's treating us but we got to we got to work with the white house otherwise we can get in trouble well he he told them talking to facebook he said that he didn't like something that was in the post or something um about vaccine hesitancy and he yeah. he emailed them you're hiding the ball yeah and yeah. And he accused Facebook of being, I did, was this Biden or Flat? He accused Facebook of being responsible for the Capitol riots. Uh, yeah, he said, he basically said, you guys were responsible for the riots because you didn't censor information about that. And now you're doing the same thing with the vaccines. And it was a very threatening tone. You know, we're not going to let you get away with this again, um, which is. <laughs> well, and again, if this is, this is exactly why you can't let these people do this, because they can ruin your business. Section yeah. 230, oh, exactly. antitrust. I mean, they hold the ultimate sword of Damocles over you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, and Biden, you know, by the summer of 2021, Biden was saying something, things like the social media companies are killing people. His communications director was saying that the White House was looking at Section 230 to see how the companies could be held accountable for not censoring vaccine misinformation. And then the company's internal emails show that they're saying, OK, we're really worried about this. We've got to change our policies. So I don't know how you can argue, even though the government is trying, uh, how you can argue that these the government wasn't responsible for the censorship. It's Bill Walton show. I'm here with Janine Yunus, and we're talking about uh, Missouri versus Biden and uh, the recent uh, judge's uh, pronouncement that uh, the government was up to no good and uh, with lots of evidence to prove it. And but I want to talk a little bit about maybe the other side. The, the, the government's argument is, well, these social media companies agreed with us, and they wanted to shut this speech down as well. And, you know, there's a lot of censorship that people feel on the Internet, and we just blame Google. 
or we just blame Zuckerberg, but we don't really think the government's necessarily involved. Isn't that the argument the government's making? That, that... is their that is their argument, and it's an absurd argument. Okay, why is it absurd? The... Well, let's, because let's go legal on this. Um, I mean, first of all, before this uh, information came out from the Select Subcommittee a few weeks ago, we had quite a bit of evidence that uh, people in the White House, especially, but also at other agencies were threatening the companies and bullying them. Now, you wouldn't need to do that if they wanted to do this anyway. Now we have these internal emails where you have the companies saying, you know, the employees exchanging emails saying, we don't really want to do this. We consider it a violation of, you know, free speech principles, but the White House is putting us under a lot of pressure. We've got to do it. So I don't know how, uh, you know, they're going to be able to maintain that. But if it's just the companies doing it, you can say, well, look, we're a private company. We don't like what you're saying. You don't have to use our platform. That's not a First Amendment violation. No. It's only when the government, you become a, an instrument of the government. Exactly. Um, there's something... How, what's the legal... How does, yeah. that, how does that work? There's something called state action theory, which says that the government can't co-opt private industry to accomplish what it can't do directly. So, an, so that's what's at stake. That's, that's what's happening the, yeah. here. Okay. So an analogy I use a lot is um, the government, you know, the government can't search your home without a warrant. The government also can't hire a private company to go search your home without a warrant in order to get around that prohibition. So the same thing um, should be seen to apply in the speech context. The, it's a, sort of a new area of law because before social media, you didn't really have the, the government be able to co-op private industry to censor people. I mean, there were cases where you had the government calling a newspaper and saying, please don't print this story or don't print this story or we're going to charge you with treason or something like that. Um, but that didn't, it was a little bit different in that, you know, the, the newspaper doesn't, isn't responsible for serving as a platform for, a, you know, millions of voices. Uh, so if, if the newspaper complied, that was one story that was censored. And, you know, that was the Pentagon Papers case was, uh, yeah, <laughs> said yeah, that they yeah. can't do that. Um, but, but the, the effects of this are really tremendous because of the nature of social media. The ruling, we're, we're, there's going to, the government, of course, is appealing all this. Yes. And that's uniform. Are all the agencies all in? And how many, they have 53,000 lawyers involved? In, in <laughs> DOJ is, is, yeah, is obviously. DOJ is running point. Yeah, yeah. And there's going to be, it's now August 9th, and yeah. there's going to be an, an oral argument tomorrow, August that's, 10th. Yeah, that's right. And that's certain. What happens in an oral argument and where? Where does this push this? So it's before a three-judge panel, um, which is how they usually are. Um, and <clears throat> the judges typically ask questions of the attorneys. I imagine this will be what's called a hot bench, where the judges ask a lot of questions because it's a big case. In this case, uh, they also expedited briefing, which indicates that they consider it to be an important case. So things are going to happen fast. I think we'll have a decision by the end of August. And then it's very, very likely to go to the Supreme Court. Um, now you get during oral argument, you typically get a very good idea of what the judges are thinking. They kind of allow the public to know how they um, how they feel based on the, the, the way they ask the questions. Well, what George Doherty found, and I think you've got to find this to make the case. I, I don't know what what I don't know what he ordered them to do, but you have to find, I guess, number one, significant encouragement and coercion. And he found that. Yeah. So he was saying there are basically a couple of means through which uh, the government can sort of co-opt private industry. Now, if you coerce them, if you say, if you don't do this, if you don't do what we want, censor people or else we're going to impose consequences that are going to cost you a lot of money. That's coercion. Then he's, that's one way of doing it. 
also significant encouragement, which so that I would say is a little bit uh, less developed in the legal context. But I think significant encouragement should be considered a First Amendment violation. If the government is saying, hey, you guys should really be taking these posts down. It's it's dangerous. We're not going to do anything if you don't. Well, maybe if they, I don't know, if they explicitly say that. But, but we really think this is what you should be doing. Just be good citizens and do that. I think that should be considered a First Amendment violation. The government shouldn't be involved in, uh, the, you know, censorship at all. But Flaherty said when he was uh, after, I think it was YouTube, he said his, your YouTube video was shared at the highest, and I mean the highest mm -hmm. level, in the White House. And he went on and on and on. He said, we he want said to make the concerns were shared. The to, concerns a, were which shared. Which was yeah. very coercive because I was saying the president himself has The president of the United yeah. States was, was, was telling yeah. them this was a problem. And then he repeated it again. He said, and yeah. I, just remember that I'm in the highest levels at the White yeah. House. Yeah. No, don't get me wrong. This was coercion. A lot yeah, of don't it. be too yeah, worried. No, I know, no. <laughs> I, I want to be clear. I think this was extremely coercive, and I think that's exactly what was going on here. But I don't even think the bar should be that high. I think the government also shouldn't be able to work with uh, private industry, even if it's done voluntarily, in order to censor people ba based on viewpoint. And then they also had to. He also found irreparable harm. That's right. Yeah, that's required for a preliminary injunction. Okay, so those he found both those yeah. to be the case. Now, when in the oral arguments, what? What's the federal government going to push back on? They're going to argue that the companies wanted to do this. Okay. Um, okay. And they're also the, and then another issue which might uh, be boring to be, most people is another issue is standing, which is sort of it's related, to, uh, but so there's three been issues. Contentious. The third one, standing. Well, yeah, standing. Yeah, I didn't is, clip that standing, out. I thought it was boring. <laughs> it is. It's illegal. <laughs> it's you have to show that you've been injured. Um, yeah. And it's it's a very complex legal analysis. So in the First Amendment context. Typically, if you can even show that um, the government's conduct is causing you to self-censor, like you're afraid of being removed from social media, so you don't say the things you would have, um, you don't need to show directly that your posts were removed because of the government, which would be very hard. Although some people can, like RFK Jr. can, because uh, the government made specific demands that his posts be removed. Well, he was part of the disinformation dozen. Talk about the disinformation. Somehow I missed it. I was thinking, I didn't know about the disinformation. Evidently, there, was, there were 12 accounts that were responsible for 73% well, of what they called well, this is them. Yeah, that's... there are twelve accounts, seventy-three <laughs> yeah. percent. We can go after that disinformation dozen. Yeah. So this was a, a group of people who didn't necessarily work together, but they had been identified by this nonprofit called the Center for Countering Digital Hate. And what they really do is they go around trying to shut up people they don't like. Right. Um, they are not about any kind of uh, hate speech or anything. Um, so they had had uh, identified this group of people and claimed basically they just pulled some statistics out of thin air. Uh, they're responsible for 73% of the misinformation on, on COVID vaccines on the internet. If Facebook just gets rid of them, it'll solve all our problems. But if you, I, I saw this and I started researching it, then that just shows you how this, this works, though. There must have been 50 articles on the disinformation yeah. dozen. What was it, 19, uh, 2020, 21, yeah. when they started? That was all in, in the really terrible, you know, yeah. the, the dirty dozen. Exactly. And the, the White House and the Surgeon General just accepted these statistics without really very much basis. And you actually, the internal emails from uh, Facebook show the, the people at the company were like, really didn't buy this. And they said, well, I don't know where they're getting these numbers from. This really isn't right. We think it's more like 0.05%. Um, 
But this seemed like a, a good political target for the White House, I think. And so Biden and um, some of his staff sort of uh, zeroed in on this as a focus. It just, you, they got to get rid of the disinformation dozen. And what do you know, um, right in the summer of 2021, when they were putting all this pressure on the companies to get rid of the disinformation dozen, even though the companies said initially they haven't been violating our policies, all of a sudden they all lost their accounts. So uh, we know why well, that happened. Well, <laughs> they were, they were, once again, going back to our buddy Flaherty, I guess in 2021, he said uh, he didn't like that they weren't getting the dirty dozen. Yeah. The disinformation dozen yeah. off fast yeah. enough. Fast yep. enough. He said, are you guys effing serious? <laughs> I want an answer on what happened here, and I want it today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you get a call from the White House. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it's, I also want to make sure I mention um, they were also explicitly demanding uh, Flaherty, a guy named Andy Slavitt, who was like the senior advisor to the COVID response or something, and the Surgeon General. And this is in, in internal emails. They were demanding that the companies remove true information if it would stoke vaccine hesitancy and true accounts. So if you and, and especially if it lacked context. So if you if you suffered a severe adverse effect after getting the vaccine and you wrote about it. If you didn't say, but this is only suffered by, you know, 0.01% of people who get the vaccine, they would consider that, they call it malinformation. So true things that lack the appropriate That's context. That's the most evil term. Yeah. There's, dis <laughs> there's disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. Yeah. And malinformation, something can be true, mm -hmm. but they don't like the way you use the facts. Exactly. Exactly. So so they were censoring true stories, true accounts. Um because it was it was uh, not good for their agenda. Well, <laughs> so let's talk about this is the Bill Walton show, and I'm here with Janine Eunice, and uh, we're about to talk about Dr. Fauci. <laughs> Dr. Fauci's named in this lawsuit. Yes. Uh, what was his role? How did he How did he come up? I mean, I've got some notes. Here. I'd rather hear from you. Yeah. So um, I he initially uh, came into the picture in the sort of fall of 2020 because he was demanding censorship of the Great Barrington Declaration, which we discussed earlier. Yeah. Um, and um, sort of anyone who disagreed with his uh, lockdown um, strategy to mitigate the spread of COVID. Uh, now, he also, we know that he um, played a major role in trying to get the lab leak theory silenced probably because he was responsible for funding gain-of-function research, which, which means ultimately he may have been played a rather large role in the uh, COVID pandemic in the first place. They wrote a paper called The Proximal Origin of COVID-19. Yep. And that yep. was published, that was published in, uh, what, Nature magazine? Yeah. And it debunked anything that had anything that stated anything. It, it, it couldn't have occurred in a lab. It had it occur in nature. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, they were exchanging emails saying that they thought it was quite possible it came from a lab, but that wouldn't be very politically convenient for them. So this is stunning. It is stunning. Now, this is really, this is, and again, this is, we felt this, we heard this, there are rumors, everybody's talking about this, but this has all been now pretty much documented. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, I'm going to speculate a little bit, even though I try not to. At this moment, we don't have direct evidence that Fauci asked the social media companies to censor the lab leak theory. But what we do have is uh, emails from Facebook, internal emails, where they're saying, um, 
why did we censor the lab leak theory again? And another employee saying, because we were under pressure from the administration, we shouldn't have done it. <laughs> so I, why would the administration have wanted to censor the lab leak theory? That's a question I've asked myself. This wasn't like the vaccine where, um, you know, they were clearly, the, the Biden administration had made vaccinating as many people as possible central to his campaign and his agenda. Why the lab leak theory? I suspect it's because that's what Fauci wanted. I don't have evidence of that at this moment, but I'm hoping we can get Gee, it. <laughs> Fauci was using the money from his agency to fund the Wuhan lab right. to do gain of function. And a lot of people believe that Fauci had an economic interest in some of the products that were being developed there. Right. I mean, why would he be concerned? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And now he's retired. I, I, I he, <laughs> He may, he, he's, how old is he, 85? Something like that. These, yeah, these cases yeah. drag on forever. Yeah. It, it may, the, case, the case may not be closed by the time he departs the more. Yeah. Court. Who knows? That's, but that's anyway, true. Nenny Nenny says he, uh, he, he also testified he never contacted a social media company to ask them to remove information from their platform. Yes, he says that, but I, we don't know, you know, know that okay. that's true. <laughs> he's not the most honest person. So, so uh, let's, well, why don't you sum up a little bit, because this is ongoing. The oral arguments are tomorrow. We're going to have to come back to talk about where it goes. Um, are we optimistic it's going to go through uh, uh, the, these judges? I mean, I know you got to be careful as a lawyer. It's, I want you to be a careful lawyer. But it seems like a lot of this is so overwhelming. That the, I don't know how you throw it out. Yeah, I, I suppose to play devil's advocate, my fear, um, and I don't think this is a proper interpretation of the First Amendment, but my fear is that the court will say it's too hard to police the government in this way. Um, in, in order to have a First Amendment violation, you have a, to have a specific threat and uh, a means to carry that out. So the government actor making the threat has to actually have the power to carry that threat out. These kind of general threats. I don't so, think that that's a, a So correct. if we had only one threat, we could deal with it. But here we're dealing with 53,000. <laughs> yeah. It's just too much. Yeah, and... yeah. And and they <laughs> they were making specific threats also, to be clear. Now the government says they didn't really have the ability yeah. to carry those things out, certainly not without Congress, etc. Um, I don't think that's true. Um, and I don't think that's the proper standard for assessing whether this is a First Amendment violation. But that would be my fear. That's That's the way I could. I don't think that they're going to buy the government's argument that there was no pressure or that these were just suggestions. That's not how you can read these emails. So I'm, I am optimistic um, that this circuit is sort of, uh, um, uh, it's a reliable predictor. They'll get often. to the right outcome. Yeah. yeah. They tend to, well, so the Supreme Court tends to follow them pretty well, closely. Well, so. I, well, I, I, want, I want to congratulate again on the brilliant, you again on this brilliant work. And oh, I know you've got a team. And we other do people have a team. Involved, there are lots, but, lots of uh, very uh, brilliant people on this. But the <laughs> New Civil, Civil Liberties Alliance has done amazing work here. Oh, thank you. And I'm a big supporter. Yeah. And uh, I think this is this was a big win. Let's hope we get through the oral pretty good, pretty well, and this thing proceeds. Yep. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much for discussing this with me. Uh, yeah, great to have you on. I'll, you'll be back. <laughs> yeah. I hope. Uh, for sure. This has been the Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Janine Eunice of the New Civil Liberties Alliance, and we're talking about her exceptional case, Missouri versus Biden, which uh, I think uh, is, is something we've all been hoping would happen, and it's happening, and it's a good piece of news. Uh, hope you'll join me on future shows. Hope you like this one. 
please send us your comments on the uh, best place is probably Substack or thebillwaltonshow.com. And again, to plug something new we're doing, uh, join us on uh, Insider Access Live, which is a Zoom uh, interactive uh, Q&A show where I'm talking with guests live or live on Zoom rather. And we're going to be going back and forth with tough questions uh, or maybe hopefully easy questions. So anyway. Look forward to talking with you on that and others, and uh, we'll be back with you soon. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone, and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.